Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody. He spoke about hell more than he spoke about heaven. The reality, Jesus knew, believed, and warned about the absolute reality of hell. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus described hell as a place of eternal torment from which no one returns. Remember the rich man? He never asked to go out. He knew. Once you're there, you're there. In Matthew 25, Jesus, Jesus separated the people from those who were welcome into his presence and those who were cast into eternal torment. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus calls the place a place of unquenchable fire where the worm dies not. It's not an ethereal place. It's not a mystical place. It's a very real. Matthew 25, look what it says here. A place of outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So why? It's on the screen, folks. Why did Jesus talk so much about hell? Because he knew it was the fate of all who reject the price that was paid for their sins and will eternally be apart from him. Contrary to popular belief, hell is not a place for bad people. Hell will be lined with some of the greatest people, with the greatest intentions. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Eternity, folks. And I, I, I'm just, I'm excited now. Now, you know, we as, as a pre-tribulation church, we believe the rapture is going to happen uh, much before any of the travesties of Revelation begin, but I just thought that was, that was quite exciting that a young person would say, I'm reading this. God, what's next? You know, as a child of God, that's what we should be asking. God, what's next? We're already looking past what is. We're saying, hey, Dad, what's next? I am excited. I'm excited about it here and now, but I'm excited about then and there. Well, in talking about heaven and doing this series on heaven, I have to take you to the other side of the spectrum today, and we're going to talk about hell. I'm going to take you into, it's not in your notes, so you need to write this down. Second Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, open it to chapter 4, because this is what I want to start with today. Because I'm not, I don't want to get into today what the Bible says about hell. 
What I with great specificity want to get into is what Jesus says about hell. And so this entire message, I know some of you are already, you're already kind of getting a little squirmish because you got, you got your notes in hand. This, this, is this pastor really going to talk about hell? Uh, folks, it's in the Bible. And so the Word of God basically requires that I talk the full gospel. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And preferably, this is not applicable to you. But if it is, then it doesn't have to be at the end of this service, the end of this session. I'm going to look at the first four verses. And look what the Word of God says. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy, and we do not lose heart. What is the ministry? To share the good news, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, can I tell you something? Hell is part of the good news. The fact that you're not going there. Okay? We have, look what it says here, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. You remember that willingness that I was talking about earlier? We have to willingly crucify ourselves. We have to willingly deny our flesh. We have to willingly die that we might live. We have willingly renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in the craftiness nor the handling of the Word of God deceitfully. Folks, this is happening right now across not just America but the world where people use God's Word to manipulate people. And Paul is addressing this 2,000 years ago when he's writing to the church of Corinth. Handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifesting the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What does that mean? That means my life and my words line up. I am what I say, and I say what I am. God's Word, very simply, God said what He meant meant what He said. It's not up for negotiation. I love to use a little adage I've used for years. I don't know if it's my adage or probably I heard it someplace, you know, almost 35 years ago when I started pastoring. But it's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. And they're all very much in application and force today. But listen to me. This is what I want to get to. Verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to who? Those who are perishing. Because the God of this world, it goes on in verse 4, says, has blinded the eyes of those that they may not see. He's blinded the eyes who do not believe that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, might shine on them. The enemy is working overtime. And I want you to open your hearts today as I get into this subject. It's not, folks, it's not the easiest subject to grab a hold of. But it is a subject that we cannot ignore. We cannot Excuse, 
and we cannot just pretend doesn't exist. Because that is what this passage in 2 Corinthians is talking about. The God of this world has blinded their eyes lest they might believe. Now, I want to share a story out of the Bible. Now, I always, I always hinder calling these things stories because they're, they're really life application truths. Because story kind of gives a connotation that maybe it's something that somebody came up with or whatever. But I want to look at Luke chapter 16 as we get into the, today's message. Luke chapter 16, and I want to share a story that Jesus told that was not a parable, was not a metaphor, was not an allegory, but was a fact of life that actually happened. Jesus is telling the story. Not just one of the disciples, not somebody, but the Lord himself is telling this. Luke chapter 16. Look what it says. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. Let, let me stop there real quick. I brought this up so I wouldn't forget, and I forgot. Take your phone out and tell folks that you're in church. I mean, we tell people all kinds of stuff when you're doing stuff. Like I said, I just I want to know what somebody's eating. I just go look and see what they posted. Take it and tell them you're in church. And tell them that you're in church learning about hell. Oh, that'll send a shockwave through the church world. Because this is not a subject that gets preached on. So do that if you would uh, for a moment. Uh, Will, would you give that to my wife, please? Thank you. The last thing I need to do is, and turn the Bluetooth off, please, there. No, I didn't. Turn the Bluetooth off. Uh, as, as most of you all know, I wear hair, hearing aids, and my phone is connected to my hearing aids, so there has not been a few times that I forgot to turn the Bluetooth off, and I'll get a phone call right during the middle of church. You all don't know it, but my ears are ringing. So, so please turn the Bluetooth off, please. But check in and let people know you're in church. Let them know. You let them know you're everywhere else. Let them know you're in church. And let them know what you're talking about. And then do me a favor. Afterwards, talk about it on Facebook. Talk about church. You want to reach people? They follow your social network. Friend or not friend. They might say they're a friend, but they may not be a friend. But they'll follow. And you know what God will do? Let's see, what's that song we just sang? The Word is Alive. God's Word doesn't come back void. God will use those little words to prick the hearts of people. There was a rich man, and he was in fine purple, in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat from what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked at his sores. Well, the time came when the beggar died. And what does it say? The angels carried him. Now stop for a second and look at me. You and I are that beggar. As Christians, sometimes we don't have the best. We don't have everything. 
Many times we do without many things. And we wonder, God, this isn't, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. Well, it's exactly the way the Bible says it's going to be. The problem is, is too many pulpits, too many pastors preach that if you get your life right with God, all of a sudden success, wealth, and prosperity is going to come your way. No, what will happen when you get your heart right with God is heaven will come your way and hell will go the other way. But the reality is you may wind up with not a lot in life. But you know one day, angels are going to be ready to take you home. Can somebody say amen? Well, the Bible says the rich man also died and was buried. What a contrast. The rich man died and was buried. And what's it say? Lifted up his eyes in hell. Some of your translations will say Hades. Okay, The actual Greek word is the place of the netherworld. The place of departed spirits. And when it's talking about departed, out of God's presence. In hell where he was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham afar away and Lazarus by his side. Where was Lazarus and Abraham? In a place called paradise. And then he says these words, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in the cool water for my tongue because I'm in torment in this fire. I'm in agony in this fire. Now, here's, there's several pictures. I could have just expounded upon this passage. But you notice the rich man called Abraham father. Well, the Bible says that you're not of your father Abraham. You're not of God except through faith in Jesus Christ. Physically, we all come through the same channel of birth. But we're talking about eternal life here. We're talking about eternity. And Abraham replied, son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted and you are in agony. And then I want you to look at this in your notes and underline it. And besides this, there's a gulf fixed between us, a chasm. Nobody can enter there from here or here from there. And there's a, there's a note I want to grab into this in just a moment. And then he said, I, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them that they do not wind up in this place of torment. Now stop there real quick. Did you notice the rich man ever asked to get out? See, there's this understanding. When we die, it really isn't over. As much as we'd like to try to think it is, atheists, agnostics, different groups would love to say, this is all, no, 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 this isn't. But in our heart of hearts, we know eternity is a long, long time. Because God wrote it there, according to Ecclesiastes. He says, Go, and then I'm going to go back to the song that they just sang. 
What did Abraham reply? And it's on your screen. You need to underline this. He said, you have Moses and the prophets. Now, above Moses and the prophets, write the word, the Scriptures. The Bible. Abraham said, they have God's Word. Let them listen to them. Let them listen to the Word. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And what did he say? If they won't listen to God's Word, even if Jesus rises from the dead, they still won't repent. That's what it's saying. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this book that we have here, all of us have cars, and in those cars are owner's manuals. This book is our owner's manual. And if we won't listen to this, we can try to get the cool of the water on our tongue as much as we want to. It's not going to help. If we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead to give us victory because God's Word says it, the rest of it isn't going to matter. You know, you go over to the book of John, chapter 20, and this isn't in your notes, so write it down. In the book of John, chapter 20, says there are so many things that Jesus did that were not recorded in this book. But these things were written that you might believe. He said they have, the Mo- they have Moses and the prophets. They have my word. Even if I send my son, who is the word, they've already rejected the word. Chapter 21 of, of John says, matter of fact, all the things Jesus did, if they would have written them down, the world itself couldn't hold the books. Folks, we don't know what Jesus did in those 33 years he walked the earth. But I tell you what, this is a fragment of what he did. Now, I want to get into this message, and I I want to do it as succinctly and in brevity as much as possible. But when I was putting this, just today's message together, literally at home on my computer, I have six outlines. And I wasn't even touching the surface of what, listen to me, Jesus said about hell. We're going to get into this. I want to begin this message with the bad news. There is real hell. Okay? But... There's also good news. And the good news of the gospel is this. God wants everyone to go to heaven. But he left the choice up to us. The subject of hell has many misconceptions in our world today. They have a lack of understanding surrounding the significance of this issue. And we put the blame 
squarely on the church. We put the blame squarely on the uncomfortableness of preaching about this place. The Bible is very clear. Hell exists. And what is more, it is very clear that it is the ultimate destination of everyone who rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I want to clarify something very quick. You say, I haven't rejected, I've just not accepted. Indecision is a decision. If we die in our sins, which is what happens if you do not accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, the consequences are still the same. The doctrine of hell, we're in your notes, folks, is uncomfortable for most of us. However, and I want you to grab this, I want you to grab this, it's our understanding of hell that literally shapes our view of the gospel, God's holiness, and man's depravity. I put this on the screen because I want you to grab it. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we won't fully understand the gospel. Here's what we want, is we want a gospel with no consequences. So we do away with hell. If there's no consequence, how is there a benefit? How do we know good except for bad? How do we know right except for wrong? How do we know yes except for no? Am I making any sense so far? So today, what I want to do is I want to take you on what I'd like to call just a a cursory journey, just a little surface journey, a brief journey, an overview to the two questions that are in our title. Number one, is hell real, and what did Jesus say about it? And in doing so, journey far in Scripture, we need not to find that Jesus, listen to me, that Jesus spoke more about, described more vividly, and outlined more specifically this morose and terrifying place more than any other topic he spoke on in all of Scripture. Include all the biblical writers. Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody. He spoke about hell more than he spoke about heaven. The reality, Jesus knew, believed, and warned about the absolute reality of hell. It's in your notes. Look at this. This is, this is just, uh, just a few scriptures. Look at Jesus. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus described hell as a place of eternal torment from which no one returns. Remember the rich man? He never asked to go out. He knew. Once you're there, you're there. In Matthew 25, Jesus, Jesus separated the people from those who were welcomed into his presence and those who were cast into eternal torment. 
In Mark chapter 9, Jesus calls the place a place of unquenchable fire where the worm dies not. It's not an ethereal place. It's not a mystical place. It's a very real. Matthew 25, look what it says here. A place of outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So why? It's on the screen, folks. Why did Jesus talk so much about hell? Because he knew it was the fate of all who reject the price that was paid for their sins and will eternally be apart from him. Contrary to popular belief, hell is not a place for bad people. Hell will be lined with some of the greatest people, with the greatest intentions. Why? Because hell is the default destination of everyone who rejects Christ. Why? Because we need a rescuer. We need a redeemer. We need a savior. Or we stand condemned. We literally are left with two options in this life. And that is to, number one, stay in the state of depravity and be eternally punished or willingly submit to our savior. Here's that word, willingly and accept the gift of his redemption. Who wouldn't want that gift? Only those who will take the time if it works, but won't make the time if it costs. What's it going to cost to serve Jesus? Your life. Every piece of it. It's not the pick and choose, folks. We are in the buffet line of glory. Well, you know, Lord, I'm going down this thing. Man, that prosperity, give me a double heaping. Man, Lord, blessing, encouragement. Oh, yeah. Oh, come on, Lord. Could have got another plate. My plate's already running over. Oh, tithing? Yeah, I'm not going to take any of that. Oh, commitment, sacrifice? No, I don't like that. Folks, it's all or none. The Bible says, what good does it do to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? I put this on the screen because I want you to get this. I'm talking about hell today. And there's one truth that, that constrains me to preach on this subject. The reason I can accept the justice of hell as indisputable proof of God's goodness and grace is because of Calvary. He did not only make a way, but he paid the price and gave it to us as the way. See, this is, I could sit down and say, okay, this might be some allegory. This might be some kind of metaphor. This might be just another parable. You know, I could sit down. But no, no, no. God said, so much so is this place real 
that I'm going to pay the price to keep you out of it. But you have to accept the way to miss it. Am I making any sense this morning? You see, Romans chapter 2 says the goodness of God is what leads us to repent. Still, the notion of hell is difficult for people to grasp. But can I tell you something this morning? Ladies and gentlemen, listen to the sincerity and the genuine... and the reality of my voice this morning, list the nailed, scarred hands are worthy to complete my trust. His goodness, his mercy, his grace ultimately took me from hell all the way to the cross. And I think that's worth it today. God is good. God is great. But because he is good, we have to Accept the relationship that he's given us for it is the only thing that will snatch us out of the fires of hell. One day, all wrongs will be righted. We will see God's ways as good, including the eternal justice that he demonstrates. For now, we have to walk in the same trust that Paul did. He said, oh, the depths of his riches and wisdom and knowledge. How unsearchable his judgment is beyond finding out. This is why we can look at 2 Peter chapter 3. When we look at the Lord's return and we, we talk about the things that are happening in the world and we say, God, how much longer could it be? And we wonder about his patience. And he says these words, God's not slow talking about his promise, the promise of his return. No, he is patient. Why? For your sake and mine. For all those who would come unto the Lord. Why? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants no one to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. Are you ready for the ride? Let's jump in. Most people believe they're going to heaven. If I was to take a survey in here, most in this room, whether you know Jesus or not, you think you're going to heaven. Can I look at this? Yet biblically, Jesus said these words, Matthew chapter 7. Wide is the gate. Broad is the way leads to destruction. And there are many that are going by it. Small is the gate, verse 14. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few that find it. I put this on the screen because I want you to sink in. Go ahead. If we believe the Bible, remember what what the rich man was told? They have Moses and the prophets. They've got God's word. If we believe the Bible and that passage, just that one passage, and I can give you countless others, if we believe the Bible, we must accept the fact, biblically speaking, most people are headed to hell. Now, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's kind of jarring Broad is the way, and many find it. 
Narrow is the way, and few find it. I could could stop right there, and I could have most people, ah, garbage. Most people are uncomfortable with that truth. But just like hell is a real place, and just like Jesus spoke about hell, then all the other Bible teachers included, let me, let me put it this way. There, there are 40 parables that Jesus spoke about in the Scripture. 40 parables. You can go count them. Over half of the parables were directly about hell. You think Jesus is trying to get the point across Most of the biblical teaching on hell came from the lips of Jesus. Why so much on the subject? He wants no one to go there. He wants nobody to go there. And as a pastor, I want to teach the Word of God and help people grow in their faith as Christians. That when it is all said and done, the greatest thing that I want to see happen is that people who were on a banana peel to hell are now on a on a road right up to heaven. And they say, I have repented and accepted the gift of God's glory. Number one in your notes. The attitude of the world and the church. Why should I be preaching on hell this morning? The fact is, is why isn't the rest of the church preaching on hell? There was a man in in the 19th century. He was a very prominent judge. But he was also a Darwinist and a humanist who would always attack Christianity. His name was Thomas Huxley. Maybe you know the name. He was in Dublin and rushing to catch a train. He climbed aboard one of Dublin's famous horse-drawn taxis and told the driver, hurry, I'm late. Drive as fast as you can. Well, of course, the, the driver saw who it was in his coach, and he wanted to make sure Huxley was okay, so he just took off. And Huxley just sat back, closed his eyes, and pretty soon as the the chariot was was racing through the countryside, uh, Huxley opened his eyes and he looked really quick and said, "Uh, we are definitely not going the right direction. (laughs) After a while, he stopped the driver and he said, do you know where you're going? And the driver replied, no, sir, but we're going there fast. Let me ask you a question. Do you know where you're going? Can I tell you that most of the world lives full speed, fast-paced, full of activity, full of things, but most of the world is directionless. Many never discover what life is really all about or where they're going until it's too late, but they're going fast. They're going fast. The problem is everyone is headed for a specific direction, whether they know it or not. And there's only two destinations, heaven and hell. Everybody on this earth that has ever lived, that is living, or that will live, will wind up in one of those two destinations. There is no other. The problem of what I just mentioned, 
is why isn't the church talking about it? Because most of you are uncomfortable. Oh, not so much this church. Because this church, we preach the entire gospel. There is a workshop, and this was the latest one that I could find. I'm actually, I found other ones, but this one was just so blatantly clear. You can look it up yourself. It happened at the, Brook, the Brookview Wesleyan Church in Irondale, Alabama, 10 years ago. Fred Johns, who was a pastor, said after the workshop of discuss, discussing the subject of hell, it was concluded why the pastors shy away from the topic of everlasting damnation. The response in the workshop that was concluded, if you want to not lose people, you got to stay away from the subject of hell. Why? You'll no longer appear relevant. That was the topic of the workshop, relevancy. If you're going to be relevant in this millennial world, you can't talk about negative subjects. you got to do everything come short of denying hell. Well, folks, if you're not talking about it, what are you doing with it? It's just like, well, I'm not rejecting Christ, but I'm not accepting Christ. Okay, is there a middle there somewhere that I'm not seeing? There is an assumption in the Christian church that just because you go to church, you're going to heaven. And what they promoted in this workshop, this was a nationwide workshop talking about the topics of how to get people in your church, keep them in your church, and not bother them while they're in your church. The topic of the subject was how to market Jesus. And the way you do it is with a soft sell. If any of you know salesmanship, you always got to get the soft shell before you get the hard shell. Sell. The tough thing is you're going to have time for the hard sell when you're trying to do the soft sell in Christianity. Am I making any sense at all? This is why you can listen to some of the most prominent preachers online, and they will dance all around the major subjects. Oh, they'll they'll maybe put a little a little a dart in there once in a while, but immediately they'll pull the conviction back. They said if you want to become the big church, you got to mute the traditional Christian symbols and the difficult doctrines stay away from. Hell is a morally repugnant doctrine, ladies and gentlemen. And people have been convinced that a loving God will not send anybody to an eternal hell. Well, with that statement, they're right. God doesn't send it. We take the trip ourselves. Let me take you another. The same year, George Barna, one of the great uh, Christian um, uh, statisticians in America, made this statement, 40% of Christianity strongly agrees that Satan is not a living being but only a symbol of evil. 40% of Christians that he's not a living being, only a symbol. 
an additional 20%, let's add it together, 60% now, say they pretty much agree with that. A small minority, one quarter of the 40% left, disagree, but don't fully agree. And another 8% ain't got no clue. So you know what I have just calculated? One out of every nine Christians do not believe in a literal devil or a literal, de- a literal, literal hell. That means one out of nine people in this church. Oh, yeah. Nine out of ten. Okay. Yeah. Ninety percent of the church doesn't believe in a literal hell or a literal devil. What does Jesus have to say about hell? 162 references in the New Testament specifically deal with hell. Over half of them came from Jesus' lips. 162 references deal with hell, over half of them uttered by Jesus himself. Do you know why? I've got some scriptures. Look at the screen. Go ahead. Go to the next screen. Look at this. Jesus spoke of the resurrection, or the the scriptures talking about the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left well. Where? Okay, fulfilling the, the prophecies of Psalms, that his soul was not left where? Okay, what's the next scripture? Look what it says here. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of the Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Okay, this is Jesus talking. Let's look at the next scripture. He ascended, so he first descended where? Into the lower parts of the earth. We're talking about a real place that Jesus has been there. Why do you talk about it so much? He don't want anybody else to go. He went there to pay the price that had to be paid. But let me go on here. And it's on the screen, folks. Satan has masterfully discredited the reality of hell in various ways. Number one, he made eternal punishment a very unpopular subject. It's unpleasant to think about or even worry about. So why worry? Just don't talk about it. It's easier to pretend it doesn't exist, so it'll just go away. Matter of fact, if I just bury my head in the sand, I don't have to, it's not real. How many have pets? Have you ever had a pet think that if they don't see you, you don't see them? They're doing things. My wife and I, she, she loves watching the pet things on, on Facebook, and she was showing me one last night. This dog tiptoeing everywhere. I mean, tiptoeing everywhere. No reason to. I mean, he tiptoes to his food to eat. There's no reason to at all. But he thinks if, no, if he doesn't see anybody seeing him, then they're not. The minute it's acknowledged that he is seen, he starts walking normal. Can I tell you something? Some of us are tiptoeing around eternity. Thinking, well, you know, maybe God's not seeing what's going on. And the minute you come to a church like this, the preacher's right on it, you say, oh gosh, I'm caught again. Folks, nothing is hid before his eyes. 
Satan has made eternal punishment a very unpopular subject, which is why you virtually never hear about it. The second thing is Satan trivializes it. Folks, all I got to do is take you to the movies. Now, now all y'all know that, uh, that they got the new Frosty movie out, okay? And, and I haven't seen it yet, and yes, I'm going to go see it. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Frozen. The, yeah, yeah, that one. Okay. Now, now, listen to me. I was reading the reviews on it, and as Christians, it's amazing they have to warn us about this. They said, you've got to realize the whole thing's about mysticism. The whole thing's about good feelings overriding bad feelings. And, and folks, and not bad stuff, and, but the reality, not real. Satan trivializes it. You know how he does that? He does it by movies like that. He does it by the occult. He does it by, by fantasizing demonology and darkness and romanticizing, like, like you've heard me talk, werewolves and, and, and vampires and, and, and walking dead. Well, they're still alive. They're walking around, okay? You can't kill them. So, hey, I guess I'm going to live forever like that. You know, I could look worse. So, you know, hey, so it's going to be okay. He's fantasized all of it, trivialized it. And the third thing, or the, the, in the fantasizing, he, he, makes it, he makes everything about demons and stuff like that good-natured. The third thing is the depiction of hell. He depicts it as just the place where the party goes on. I don't have time for all this. The Bible describes hell as a horrific place. Jesus, in trying to convey, if you've been to Israel, several in this church, we've been to Israel together, there is a valley that connects to the Kidron Valley, and it uh, it's, goes through the Central Valley. It's called the Valley of Hemen. Well, God changed the Valley of Hemen to the Valley of Slaughter back in the book of Joshua. Uh, not Joshua, um, uh, it's in the Bible. But then Jesus, in Jesus' time, it was called the Valley of Gehenna. And it goes down the southwest wall, and, and if you've been there, we've driven by it a thousand times. It doesn't look anything like it used to look. It used to be a place where they would throw all the refuge of Jerusalem, all the dead animals and the dead people. It literally was a garbage heap. To put a face into people's minds to try to help them to understand this place, Jesus put a face and he said, Gehenna. It was the place where Moloch, if you've been watching the news, there are statues of Moloch going up around the world. It is where child sacrifice is done. Folks, we've been sacrificing children in the form of abortion for, 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 forever. Almost a million babies a year are offered. Thank God that they are home in God's hands. But they are... And please, if, and if you've had an abortion, please, I don't want you to... 
God forgives, God heals, God helps. But the ultimate reality is today's world's no different than that world. Jesus put a face. It was a place that was always burning, a place with the smell of smoke and burning flesh. Jesus was trying to convey in human eyes something that might get them to understand this place of eternal punishment. Jesus 11 times used Gehenna not to give a picture of a literal hell, but the reality of what is going to touch the very skirt of hell is this picture. We trivialize hell when we try to put it in some kind of physical, temporal uh, place of fire or pain. This was an attempt that Jesus used in our limited human language to describe this place of terrible imagination. Now, I've had people say, Pastor, okay, fine. Where is it? I've just given you three scriptures. I can give you countless scriptures. The Bible talks about it being a literal place in the earth. Now, I I, uh, lived in Tyler, Texas for years, and outside of Tyler, Texas, they have this uh, place called Kilgore. In Kilgore, Texas, they have something called the Oil Museum. And in this museum, they have this, this picture of, a, of an oil well fire. Anybody ever been to Kilgore, Texas? You ever been to the oil museum? If you go there, and, and I, I was all, because I'd heard about it for years and years and years, and I went there, and they said in this fire, they believed they touched the chasms of hell. In this fire, and if you ever go there, I mean, it's just as plain. You could see faces in the flame that is shooting up out of the ground. Folks, I don't, I, I'm not trying to say that's real. I'm not trying. But the Bible talks about hell very specifically. Now, people say, well, pastor, come on. There's been billions and billions and billions of people. There was a pastor and a scientist by the name of Henry Morris who did a biblical study of the concepts of hell based on human dimension. From Scripture, he found, as we do, that hell is literally in the earth itself. And I, I just gave you three Scriptures, said he descended. He went into the pit. Isaiah uh, talks about it. Ezekiel talks about it. Revelation. It's called the pit. It's called the abyss. It, the Bible writers believed geographically hell was beneath the earth's surface. The great pit. So this, this pastor, scientist, figured, well, I need, to, I, I need to look at this. He did a, phys- a physical measurement. And I'm not, you know, I, I, I can get down into the, the scientific aspects of it. But he did a physical measurement of the actual size of a person. And he said, if the, the spiritual bodies... The new bodies that God says that we're going to have that are going to live forever, whether in heaven or in hell. See, this is why people say, well, how does a, how does a spirit burn? Because you're going to have an immortal body in hell. Flesh. He did this measurement, he did this structure, and he said with all the 40 billion or so people that have lived, are living, and potentially 
are going to live, all of those bodies could fit with huge amount of room in basically 100 square miles or less of diameter. The entire population, you, you know Phoenix is 530 square miles? It's five times bigger than what hell could be. Los Angeles is almost 700 square miles. Less than 100 square miles, you could fit every person that has ever lived and potentially could live. Some 40 billion people in a little place, 100 square miles in diameter with much room to spare. And you know the thing about it? You know what Jesus said? None of it was made for us. Matthew 25, look at the screen. The king said to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. God made heaven for us. God made glory for us, all of those that would call upon the name of the Lord. But look what he says. Then he will say to those on the left. Folks, if you don't get right, you will be left. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into what? Eternal fire for the devil that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I want you to look at something, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up. I'm going to take you into the original Greek here, okay? Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. For you that are here that are annihilationist or conditionalist or ultimate reconciliationalist, just that last phrase in Matthew 25, 46, they'll go away to eternal punishment or eternal life. The word eternal is the exact same word in the Greek. See, annihilationalist. They are the people that think, okay, okay, uh, I'll, I'll accept hell. The minute you die without Christ, boom, you're done. You're annihilated. Conditionalists are those, and these are Christians. They call them, they call them Christian annihilationalists or Christian conditionalists. Conditionalists is, yeah, I messed up, and I will suffer for a period of time, but then I'll be gone. Ultimate reconciliationalists which is the big movement that is sweeping the world today, which means everybody's going to get right before God. God's going to forgive everybody, even Satan. And it's sweeping the church. Very palatable, folks, very enjoyable. I don't have to do anything, and God's going to make it okay? Why did Jesus die? Okay? Eternal punishment or eternal life. How many think that might be for a long time? And Romans, or Revelation 20, and whoever wasn't found written 
and the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. How do we imagine the unimaginable? How can we make sense of these descriptions? Once again, folks, I'm not just talking about what the Bible says. I'm talking about what Jesus says. How do we make sense? How can we best relate? Well, folks, I I tried to sit down and think about this, and literally the only way that I can think about it is thinking of an existence without God. Can I tell you something? The only reason that things don't get worse on the earth right now is because God, the Holy Spirit, is present. Imagine the bad things that are happening in the world today. Imagine this world without God. Imagine this world without His grace, His mercy, His hope, His love. And then think about living all eternity in that way. Vance Havner made a very interesting statement. He was talking about a church person that came up to him one day and was irritated, like maybe some in this place might be today. He came up to him and said, Pastor Havner, I don't like that you preach about hell. Preach about the meek and lowly Jesus, and we'll be okay. Pastor Havner turned to his congregant and said, where do you think I got all the information about hell? From the meek and lowly Jesus. What can be known about hell? We know from the teachings of Jesus. What can be known of hell? We know from the teachings of Jesus. First thing, hell is a very real place. Jesus said, and I've got lots of scriptures. I left them in your notes. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill your body. Fear the one that rather can destroy your body and soul in hell. Who's he talking about? Himself. Number two, hell is a place of judgment. Jesus clearly, emphatically taught of a final judgment of the separation from the righteous and the unrighteous. And folks, I I left Scripture in there because I don't want you to leave out of here, well, pastor's just trying to scare us. Folks, Jesus is talking. This is God's Word. And 99% of every Scripture I'm giving you is Jesus talking. He said He's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Jesus called it an eternal place prepared for the devil and his angels. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Hell is not a place where people go to be tormented by the devil. The devil is going to be tormented in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. The devil's going to be tormented day and night for all eternity. The devil's not there to torment you. You will be in torment without Christ if you die and go to this place. God will cause the same fate to the demon and the angel or the demon and the devils as you and I will face as we reject Christ. Am I making any sense today? 
Number three, hell is more terrible than you could even begin to imagine. Imagine fire and then impenetrable darkness. How do they correlate? I mean, we have this picture. I don't know. Are you going to feel the flames or see them? It's kind of freaky, isn't it? Let me encourage you. Don't go. I don't want to know. But look what the Scripture says. Eternal life. Weeping, gnashing of teeth. Look what it says here in Matthew uh, 25. Being cut into pieces. Is the picture of the horror of hell? And the last thing, and folks, hell is forever. It's not, you can be an annihilationist if you want. Think that when you die, okay, fine, I go to hell, I burn up, boom. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus says. He called hell eternal. The word, like I I shared with you there in Matthew 25, the word eternal righteousness unto life eternal or eternal punishment unto damnation, the same word meaning forever. And like I told you, we go back to our original text. The rich man never asked for a way out. He said, go warn everybody else. And what did Jesus say? You got my word. You got my word. And, and I put, the folks, there, there's all kinds of more scripture there that I left in your notes. But I want you to open your Bible to Matthew 22 because I want you to look at some things. I've had this conversation with those in, invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Matthew 22 talks about a, a king who invited everybody to come to a banquet for his son. And without going into great specificity, we're talking about here God having a banquet for his son. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb, which is what this depiction is talking about. And you know what he said? He said he sent his servants, or uh, Jesus, uh, 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 Matthew 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them. Are you there? Is everybody there? Okay, pull up your phone, pull up your pad, pull up your Bible. That'd be really nice to have your physical Bible. He spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Jesus said, it's going to be just like my dad when it's time for us to have the party in heaven. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. He's talking about Jesus came to the house of Israel. Jesus said, I came to the house. I came to the Jews. That's who Jesus came to, but they rejected him. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. I've, I, the, the oxen, the fatted calf have been butchered. 
and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to this field, another to his business. They went about doing their own thing. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years ago, a place called Bethlehem. He didn't invite the kings because they weren't listening. He didn't invite the priests because they weren't listening. You know who he was inviting? Those who were watching and waiting. The lowly shepherds. The other ones could have come, but they wouldn't. They rest, seized his servant, mistreated him, and killed him. Talking about the prophets, talking about all the disciples, talking about all of those. The king was enraged, speaking of Father God. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. Oh, the part about about killing all of them? He said, fine, that's what they want. They're dead. He said, they didn't, they they, uh, um, did not deserve. They rejected my son. They don't deserve to come. Let's continue on here. So go to the street corners and invite anyone you can find. Look at somebody and said, now they're talking about me, the Gentiles. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The servant went out into the streets and gathered all the people he could find, the bad as well as the good. Turn to somebody and say, man, I got some hope. He got the bad in here. Come on, Rick. Say amen. You and me, we in this day, the bad and the good. He said, Pastor, you just embarrassed Rick. No, me and Rick know how bad we was, don't we? Yeah. Gathered all the people, the bad and the good, to the wedding hall. Was filled. But when the king came in, and this is what I want you to get a hold of, folks. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Pastor Tim didn't say that. Christianity didn't say that. Victorious life didn't say that. Jesus said that. Look at the passage. He says, but the king came into the guest, speaking of God, came into the guest, and he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. How do you think you're going to get the wedding clothes? By being saved. By being being in right relationship with God. Folks, nobody's going to get to heaven because they were good enough. You know why he got into the wedding feast? Everybody thought he was good enough. You ever been around somebody? They look right. They sound right. But something just isn't right. How'd you get in here without wedding clothes on, friend? The man was speechless. And then the king said, tie him hand and foot. Throw him outside into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are invited, but only a few have chosen. Literally what the Scripture is saying, I've invited everybody, but the only ones that can come are the ones that choose to come. And how do they choose to come? They have to accept the Son. Folks, there's lots of Jesuses in the world, but there's only one that will take you to the Father. 
And you say, which one's going to take me to the Father? The one that advocates this word. Word for word, cover to cover, as a friend of mine says. Pastor, are all these images of hell literal or figurative? I want you to listen to me. And I want you to hear this. I wanted to write this stuff down here lastly. If they are meant to be figurative, then the imagery is pointing beyond what human language can convey. If this is figurative and not literal, the reason it is is because it cannot be conveyed in human language. In other words, hell, if not a literal fire and literal darkness, is immeasurably worse than those images and inexpressibly worse than we could even imagine or describe. If this is figurative, if this is metaphorical, if this is parabolic, or if this is some kind of allegory, the only reason it is because it cannot be described. But folks, as heaven is more wonderful and infinite than our minds can comprehend, can you even begin to fathom what hell is going to be like? What is Jesus trying to teach about hell? He said most people are going there. So worship team comes. Most people are going there. And I want you to hear me. I wrote this down because I didn't want to miss a single word of it. What do we do as believers? The reality of hell that I preached on this morning should be the impetus to our evangelism and missions. It should be a reminder to all of us at what is at stake. I told the worship team this morning as we were in prayer, if sinners are damned, if sinners reject Christ, Make them leap over your bodies to run into the hell that they so long for. If they choose to perish, let the last thing they feel is our arms locked around their legs trying to pull them back. Folks, I, I, I cannot even, I cannot even scrape the surface of this place. And even in my unjust ability to outline it, you, you have no concept of what God wants you to miss. Now, I don't know where your heart is. As I, as I said, it's, it's somewhere 80 to 90% of the church do not believe in a literal hell. And it's because of these pulpits. 
week after week, nobody will talk about it. Jesus did. Why wouldn't I? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 630. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harden. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 630. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.